0: Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. When it comes to choosing your healthcare provider, one of the most frustrating things can be network restrictions, but there's another way. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who actually pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a Samaritan member, you can choose the doctors, the treatments, the hospitals that are right for you and your family. Just consider this, a medical emergency arises. You don't have to check with an insurance company to ask which hospital to go to. You just go. And after care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. This direct member-to-member sharing approach is one of the many joys of being a Samaritan member. It's biblical, it's affordable, and you can join today. When the body of Christ comes together to pray and encourage and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life including health It reminds me of the verse in Galatians 6-2, which says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you're interested in becoming part of this amazing community, you can go to Ministries.org forward slash dad tired. Again, that's org slash dad tired. Alrina, so excited to be hanging out with you today. I saw the title of your book and I thought, man, that's probably going to be a huge and helpful resource to a lot of families. So I want to jump into that, but before we do, just tell us who you are and what you're up to these days.
1: Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. My name is Elrina Evans, and I live in Pennsylvania with my husband and five children, and we have some different special needs in the mix. I'm a writer by vocation. I'm a dancer by avocation. I like to make spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh,
0: Okay. That's a lot of... uh... A lot of skills and what spreadsheets and dancing. Usually, actually, usually when I think of spreadsheets, I think of math. And when I think of dancing, I think of art. And usually yes. those two things aren't combined.
1: I have definitely sort of straddled that line my whole entire life. And it's fun because there are other. So yesterday was Pi Day 3.14. That's right. And all the math nerds at dance were sort of. Acknowledging our mathiness and it's fun because there's definitely an overlap there, but we don't always find those
0: people. You so like math funny. and you like writing.
1: Yes. <laughs> I don't like sports. I don't want to lose all of your listeners right there. But here, <laughs> here are the things I'm not good at: knowing what's going on in sports, okay. absolutely not. Gardening. If I had to feed my family from a garden, we would definitely not be okay.
0: Oh no. Because, okay. Like
1: it's just it's not my skill. Yeah. And I can't cook, so oh, yeah the Lord saw fit to provide a husband who can. So
0: wow, we're all good. Yeah, My
1: husband likes to cook. My husband handles most of family dinners. And the first time he traveled for business, he just hadn't had a job that had required travel. So he had never really been away. Our kids were still really, really little. Hmm. And we sat them all down and explained, you know, daddy's going to travel. He's going to go away. He's going to be gone for a week, whatever. And my son, who was maybe like six at the time, was like, but mommy... How will we eat? And I was like, okay, I'm not that bad. Like I can do craft mac and cheese. Guys. So we'll, We're not figure gonna starve. we'll figure it out. Seriously. We'll figure it out.
0: It's funny that you talked about the, the garden because I'm like, especially today in, in our news, I'm not gonna get political at all, but you know, there's all this talk about nukes, and I'm like, okay, if I had to survive, if I had to like, if things went sideways, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if we'd make it that long because I don't I have no gardening skills whatsoever, you know.
1: I'm in a group of writers, a group of women writers. We've been meeting regularly for about six years. And in many ways, those relationships were part of the genesis of Special Grace. Hmm. But they are all gardeners and I am not a gardener. So I remember once we were together and we were meeting and my one friend was giving everyone, we were eating together and she's giving everyone directions. Like, okay, so you go in the kitchen and do this and this and you go into the garden and bring me in this and this. And then she looks at me and she goes, how about you just sit here and be funny? <laughs> I said, That's good. That way nobody's poisoned. Nobody Keep the dies. water,
0: cups filled. Make sure exactly. I'll fill the
1: water. I'll yeah. get the napkins. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're all yeah. good. So you have five children. I would love to hear about your family as much as you're comfortable sharing. I imagine that your family really inspired you to write this book. So as much as you feel comfortable, tell us a little bit about your family and and just kind of the unique things that you guys are experiencing.
1: Sure. Sure. I can do that. I'll say two things on that if I can. Yeah. The first is I appreciate that you say whatever I'm comfortable sharing. The hardest part of the journey of writing Special Grace for me is intensely private person. Mm. I always have been. And somehow the gift that God has given me seems to be telling these incredibly personal stories Hmm. about my life and my family's life. And that continues to be a challenge for me when I'm talking to God, I'm always like, couldn't you have like made me an accountant? I am surprisingly good with numbers, like (laughs) something that doesn't call so much of my soul that doesn't sit quite so close to my heart, Hmm. but this does seem to be where God has gifted me. So I'm trying to be obedient to follow that call But it is hard because my tendency is to be like, yeah, no, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So I will tell you a little bit about our family. So we have five kids and I like to describe them as quirky. That's my, that's my go-to word, but it's my middle son that people think of when they think of the kid who has special needs, because I write in the book, my older two kids were always quirky. They were always just, I mean, I'm a little quirky. My husband's a little quirky. We have quirky kids. Yeah. And they were always kids that, you know, sort of stood out a little bit and made people go, huh. And they're also very bright. When my, I don't think she would mind my sharing the story. When my daughter was about three, we were at, my eldest daughter, we were at a playground. And these little kids are, you know, running around playing. And this one little girl comes up to her and she's like, do you like Disney princesses? And my daughter thinks about it. And she goes, no like homophones do you like homophones and I was like lord have mercy (laughs) this is just you are not speaking the same language yeah so I was experienced with quirky kids but as I write in the book my eldest two had always sort of been able to hang out close enough to the middle of the bell curve that we could kind of we could Mm. get by and my middle son really flipped the script on that one because his needs were just so much greater And that is what sort of launched us into special education and evaluations and a diagnosis and all of these things that we just weren't expecting. And I think, I mean, in some ways, obviously the genesis of the book was there, Mm -hmm. but I like to tell people the book really started the day before back to school in, I'd have to think if it was 2015 or 2016, but it was the night before back to school. And in God's providence, when my son received his diagnosis, my closest friends at that point were already people who had kids who were either quirky or who were receiving special education services. People say often, like your kid gets your diagnosis, you have to go out and find your tribe, right? Mm. I didn't have to find my tribe. My people were already there. And it's fun in hindsight to go back and look like, wow, 17 years ago, when we met, we had no idea that we would end up sharing this part of our life journey together with our special needs kids. But so anyway, it was the night before back to school. And I was thinking about my son, and I was thinking about my other kids. And then I was thinking about my friends and all of the concerns about back to school. You know, I mean, you said you have four kids the night before back to school. You're just like, dear God, can you help with matching socks? Like we are just, I don't know about your family, but in mine, it just seems like that transition from summer back into fall. And no matter how much prep work you do, there's always stuff that's like, wait, you don't have a lunchbox. How do you not have a lunchbox? We bought you a lunchbox. Where is your lunchbox? But in addition to all that, all of these other needs, I have a dear friend whose son is nonverbal. And Mm. so when he comes home from school, he can't tell her about his day. Mm. And I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking, about all these prayer requests that have been coming to me via email. Like, please, I am so worried about my kid being able to open their locker, right? Mm -hmm. All these things. And I sat down on the stairs and I just started writing a prayer for my friends, a blessing for your kids for the first day of school. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it. I sent it out to my little group. And I have one friend who's not a very emotional person. And she writes back and she said, this made me cry, and it was just sort of the beginning for me as i'm going through my life with my son i'm an episcopalian i i should mention that probably so mm. written prayers are a part of my faith tradition yeah and i love other prayer books as well but just asking myself like where are the prayers for an iep meeting at the school like mm. where are the prayers for a therapist where's the prayer for when your kid hurts another kid so this just cry of my heart not just for my own kids, but for my friend's kids. And then widening out from that, just thinking about all these children, all these parents who just need a little special grace. And then that became the book.
0: I love it. I want to dive into you know a little bit more of the prayers of the book. But before we do that, I'd love to zoom out a little bit because you, you're talking about you, God really in his sovereignty gave you a tribe, you know, like ahead of time. I'm wondering how many parents with special needs kids don't feel like they have a tribe or maybe how hard is it to find a tribe?
1: I feel like that's one of the things that I've heard as I'm more and more in this world over and over and over again, like the loneliness, the isolation, Mm. we can't find our people where, where are our people and the part of me that likes to think big picture and My one friend would use the word prophetically. I don't know if I would say that, but I see this as such an opportunity for the church to be a place that not just welcomes these families, but connects these families so that we really are not alone. If you go to Johnny and Friends, which has so many resources Mm. on children with disabilities and starting ministries at your church or whatever, but they have some statistics on how many families with special needs do not go to church at all. And they are heartbreakingly high because the barriers, like just getting out the door with a pack of kids is a Herculean event. Right. But then if you have someone who has special needs, if you have a child who uses a wheelchair, if you have a child who has behavioral issues, it just the hurdle. But I feel like if churches can, the more that churches can find ways to welcome and connect. I had an opportunity a couple of months ago to volunteer at a friend's church that has a thriving special needs ministry. And it just blessed me so Mm. much. So many families, and they know that in that area, this is where you can go. They have a ministry. They'll help you meet your kids' needs, but also they'll connect you with other people. And I think that I think that that connection is so important. I think there are a lot of organizations out there parent organizations who work toward that, but I really see this is a place where the church can be the hands and feet, yeah, be the body of Christ and yeah. reach out to these families.
0: What was it like for you personally on your faith journey when you you said all, you know, my kids were already quirky but When you have a child that you're like, okay, there's a deeper need here. We've now Mm -hmm. stepped in. We are special needs family. Mm -hmm. When you had to say that either in your mind or out loud, did that have any effect on your relationship with the Lord?
1: Yes. (laughs) Tremendously. I tried to decide if I want to share this or not. I feel like I should preface this. I always, not always, often refer to myself. I'm a bad Christian. Like I just, by which I mean, I often have a lot of doubt and a lot of just questioning, like, God, yeah. what are you doing? And my friends tell me they're like, you're not a bad Christian. You're a like David and the Psalms Christian. I'm like, yeah. okay, okay, point me back to that place. Point mm. me back to that place.
0: Yeah.
1: It was particularly hard for us because my children were in a Christian school at that time. And it's the Christian school that I graduated from. And It just held such a dear place in my heart for so many reasons. And I had envisioned my children in this place, you know, nurtured in the word. And the school asked my son to leave because to be fair to them, they did not have the resources to meet his needs. But so for us, it wasn't just a disruption of the status quo. It was a rupture from what was in many ways at that point, our community. And part of our community of faith. And that was really, really hard for me. And I think, I mean, I always go doubt, like, what are you doing, God? Like, Mm -hmm. I know, you're supposed to have a plan. And I know that your plan doesn't guarantee a life of ease. But like, I'm just not seeing. I remember telling one of my friends, I just feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. I can't envision this future, my faith, my child's faith. I can't see how this is going to work out. I just feel completely hopeless. And I remember this because my friend said to me, you know, you have to have hope. You have to hold on to hope. And I was just like, I can't. I don't feel like I can do that right now. And I'll never forget this because she said, then I will hold your hope for you. And it just gave me this image Emily Dickinson, the poet, has this beautiful poem called Hope is the Thing with Feathers, where she personifies hope as a bird. Mm -hmm. And when my friend said, I will hold your hope for you, it helped me to imagine hope as like a little bird, something that I can't care for right now. But I can give it to my friend and she is going to pray for me every single day. I know she does. And she's going to hold my hope for me until I'm strong enough, until my faith is healed enough. Is that an okay way to phrase that, that I can begin to hope and trust again on my own. So yeah, that's really beautiful. yeah, my my faith definitely took a hit. But the other way raising my son has impacted my faith is that I feel like I'm always saying my son sees the world in different ways. Mm-hmm. And he does. The way he sees the world is different. There is so much beauty there. And I like how sometimes he challenges Things that I take for granted, social norms. I wrote a piece for Princeton Theological Seminary's The Thread. It's a magazine that they have. And I wrote about going to church with him. And one Sunday morning, he comes downstairs in like a ripped t shirt and pajama pants or whatever. He was pretty little. And I said, You need to change your clothes. Cause at least in our church tradition, I said, Those are not church clothes. And he's like, Well, why aren't they church clothes? And we're round and round and round and round about this. And I finally, I was exhausted. The clock is ticking. We're trying to get out the door. And I said something like, look, buddy, everyone at our church is already judging you for your behavior. I have no control over that. Can you please just dress the way they want to see you dressed so they're not judging our appearance too? Mm-hmm. And his response was, I hate Christians. Wow. And I thought about that for a while because As a tiny child, he looks at that and he's like, why do you care what I'm wearing? Mm. He wouldn't have used the word, but this is hypocrisy. And I don't know, I've thought about that. And I've also seen through his eyes, so much beauty and wonder and so much of God in the way he and other children like him are created. Like we label it disabled and I remember someone at my church asking me once, well, why don't you just take him to the healing service and get him healed, right? Like, it's like you drive up to the healing service. I'd like one large healing, please, <laughs> right, and a right, medium right. fry. Like, right, okay. Yeah. So first of all, that's not how healing works. Right. But also I look at my son. I don't know that he needs to be healed. Mm. I think maybe God made him in an amazing and unique way. Mm. And the challenge is not to heal him, but to see how God is already at work in him.
0: Wow. I imagine there are parents listening to this episode with special needs children and they're finding themselves somewhere on that spectrum of early on, I feel hopeless. And I don't imagine you you would claim that you feel like you've got any kind of arrival yet of your faith journey and where you're wrestling with the Lord, but you do kind of see it as a spectrum that you're, you're walking along. I guess my question is, where do you feel like you are now you went from feeling really hopeless. Where do you feel like you are now? And also, what would you say to the parent who is listening right now? And is like, man, I, I think I'm still in that hopeless phase mm-hmm. when thinking about my special needs child.
1: I don't know where I am now, probably feeling much more hopeful about my son, but discouraged in other ways because mm. right? we live in a challenging time my older son said the other day he's like i am just sick of living through history can we yeah yeah can we just have seriously i definitely do not feel the same level of hopeless that i did when we were first receiving the diagnosis and sort of entering into that identity shift but i think what i would say to someone who is in that place is whatever you are feeling is okay mm. and god will meet you in that feeling And so one of the things that I feel like my friend gave me permission to do was to sit in the hopelessness, was to experience it, was to have time for lament, was to not plaster smile on my face and be like, hey, I'm fine and go about my life. But what she did for me was acknowledge this place that you are in is okay. Right? We talk about wilderness seasons a lot in my particular iteration of Christianity and how sometimes the wilderness feels awful, but it's okay to be there and it's okay to acknowledge this feels awful. And that's where we go back to the Psalms and we see David just crying out. And some of the prayers in my book are a similar sort of crying out, like, God, we did not want to be an inspiration to other people. We just wanted to be normal. Or we don't understand why you don't heal us. Or because I'm me and I'm a little bit snarky. Like, okay, God, you want to be on hold with my insurance company for an hour? Here's the number. Like, I'm done. (laughs) So I think that that is what I would say to other people, to just encourage them. I think no matter how long the wilderness is, the wilderness is never going to last forever. So the feelings in that place are okay.
0: One of the things you just said there was our new identity. How much of what you've experienced has been a shifting of identity? And I mean, for all of us, when we imagine our children and our families, we create kind of an ideal image in our brains of what our lives are going to be like and what it's going to be like to have kids. And we have people who are listening to the show who have experienced miscarriages and we've had people who can't get pregnant and or have sick children and special needs children and so these they don't play out our stories don't play out what many of us envisioned they would be like and so there is kind of identity shifting and i imagine you felt that i don't want to put words in your mouth but i imagine that there was i had something in my mind and this would be the identity of our family and now it's a new identity like how much of the identity piece, I guess maybe zoom into that piece of it for us.
1: Yeah. I think that the right answer would be, well, my identity is found in Christ, but I think that a more honest answer would be, it's a paradigm shift. And I think that I think a lot about identity in general, like who am I, how do I understand myself and my role in the world? And that was definitely a huge shift because we went from not just, I mean, we were never a typical family, but we could sort of kind of pass for typical. We went from I, I don't typical. think
0: there are a typical family. I think there are, <laughs> I think people right. per, can project what they want to be a typical family, but you close any doors and uh, peek in you're like, yeah, I right. don't know if they're a typical right family. Anyway, well, my, yeah, my, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, my older kids used to say all the time like normal is just an aggregate of everyone's different kind of weird. Like, yes, exactly,
0: just, totally. And it's
1: really true but we went from, I would say, feeling like mm-hmm. we're a typical family or mm-hmm. or close-ish yeah. to having this new identity and also shifted from being a Christian school family to a public school family. That was hard for me. I don't know how much I should delve into that. So I've had, at this point now, I've had kids in Christian school, in public school, in charter schools, we've homeschooled mm-hmm. and my kids have gone to a preschool that's associated with our church so that's Mm -hmm. the closest we've gotten to parochial school but really like smorgasbord we've sampled it all yeah and one of the things that saddens me about christian education if i can say this maybe there's a listener who needs to hear this i don't know but christian education offers so much and it can be such a beautiful thing but when it teaches we are the only way or even the best way while at the same time not making space for everyone Mm in the educational setting, that is really hard. And I think in some ways that I'm not going to say it was harder than my son's diagnosis, but just, I did not know how to cope with mm-hmm. that loss. And I think that that is true for a lot of people, like whatever it is, that is the thing that you've imagined about your child, right? Like for me, it was education. We are going to go to this Christian school. And for some people, I remember reading a story once about a dad who always wanted his kid to be a runner like he was or something like that. And then I think the baby was diagnosed in utero with some condition that meant the child is not ever going to be able to run. Like whatever the thing is, the hope, the dream that you've pinned on this child, being able to let that go and embrace something else, I think requires a huge shift in our identity and in how we see ourselves. And I think in the best of circumstances, it would push us back to God. Yeah. I think that I'm not always strong enough to get there on my own, which is Mm. why I say it's my people. It's my Christian friends who are praying for me every single day. That can bring me back to that, that place.
0: Hey guys, I want to take a quick pause to tell you about a really cool resource for your family. It's called The Biggest Story Bible Storybook by Kevin DeYoung. The Bible is a big book about a great God. From beginning to end, each page tells about the God who created the world, who acted in history, and who continues to act in the present. In The Biggest Story Bible Storybook, Pastor Kevin retells this grand story for children ages 6 through 12 through 104 short chapters. Beginning in Genesis and ending with Revelation, DeYoung provides engaging retellings of various Bible stories explaining how they fit into the overarching storyline. Each reading is coupled with beautiful illustrations by award-winning artist Don Clark and concludes with a reflective prayer. This is perfect for bedtime stories or to read together as a family. Both children and you as a dad will experience the captivating story of the Bible in a really easy-to-understand, compelling way. You can pick up The Biggest Story, Bible Storybook, wherever books are sold, or you can visit crossway.org forward slash plus to find out how you can get 30% off. Again, you can pick it up wherever books are sold, or you can go to crossway.org forward slash plus to find out how to get 30% off. Yeah, I appreciate your honesty in sharing that. Again, I'm making assumptions here. So if, if I make an assumption, you're like, dude, you shouldn't make that assumption. Please tell me. But, I will. Uh, <laughs> and you don't have to use the word dude, but... <laughs> <laughs> What did it do for your marriage? Because again, I imagine that that would be, you're dealing with some internal stuff as new identity as a family, you're dealing with new family dynamics, but I imagine you throw in something like that and it it has the possibility to affect the way that you're relating now to your spouse and the way that you guys are getting along, that you're figuring out how are we going to get and handle this new challenge? Did it have an impact on your marriage? I'm asking that because I'm imagining there are a lot of listeners who are listening to this who have yeah. special needs. And again, I just want to like, they're feeling hopeless if they're feeling like my marriage is falling apart i want to offer them hope Mm -hmm. you know in the midst of this
1: so i will say that statistically having a special needs child is a huge predictor of divorce wow it just is i forget what the actual i forget what the actual statistic is but if you look it up it's pretty heartbreaking
0: that is heartbreaking i didn't know that
1: it is because Again, it's an identity shift and it Mm. touches every single aspect of your life. And I'm working out what that means for me. And my husband is working out what that means for him. And we have to work out what that means for us Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And we have to take care of the kid. And in my case, four other kids. So it's a lot. Yeah. So it is definitely divorce factor. I think to people who are feeling hopeless, I would say... I don't know. I'm not a marriage therapist, but I would say find the thing that you do well together specifically in caring for your child. Mm -hmm. Like what is the thing? So my husband and I right off the bat, and I don't even know how nobody recommended this. It wasn't something that I'd read anywhere. So if you have a child with special needs, you are going to fill out so much paperwork. It Mm -hmm. just... And there will be times in your life when you're like, really, like I'm doing like I literally just did this. It never stops. And it's overwhelming. And it's also for me, and I think for most people, very challenging to see your child in those ways. Like my child insert problem behavior, sometimes always never. And like pages and pages of this. It's. So I think this probably actually started because I was overwhelmed and I couldn't, I just could not deal. I'm looking at these papers and I'm like, I can't handle this. So my husband and I filled them out together and we have maintained that. So let's see, my son received his diagnosis eight years ago. And since that time, all of my children have been evaluated for different sorts of neuroatypicalities. That's just the way our family is. And my husband and I have filled out every single set of paperwork together. And the last round that we had to do, it was funny because he got his reading glasses, like he's my age, but he has reading glasses and they're adorable because they're like grandma reading glasses. Every time he puts them on, I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You look very distinguished, but he gets his reading glasses and he's like, okay, we know the drill and we sit down at the table. And so he writes, he reads the question and I'll respond. And if he sort of agrees with my assessment Mm. on that particular thing, he just marks it down. But every now and then I'll say, oh, always. And he'll be like, really? And then we'll have a little conversation. Like, Mm. because I perceive my child to be this way. And he perceives the same child to be this other way. Right. And that's been a point of connection for us. And it might sound silly. It might sound like a, you know, whatever. But I would imagine For a family that's feeling hopeless, like find the thing, like Mm -hmm. dad, are you really, really good at coming home from work every day and just playing with your kid for half an hour while your wife has a break or vice versa, or, Hey dad, can you cook? And you actually didn't know it. Like we knew my husband could cook, but what is that thing that you can do well together or that will strengthen the relationship for the spouse? I think that's what I would say. Yeah, that's helpful.
0: That's helpful. I'm thinking about none of my children have special needs that I know of yet. They're still young. So this is new territory for me. And I think a lot of people who have friends with special needs children, you're trying to kind of navigate. How do we support families, our, our friends who have special needs children? Where do we, what's like we shouldn't go this direction or we'll step on toes or what's like, you should probably talk about this more, ask more. It would be more encouraging to like bring this up. Like just trying to figure out for the families who don't have special needs children that want to love on our brothers and sisters and families who have special needs children. Like what's your advice? What do you wish people who didn't have special needs children knew or would do or would say?
1: So I actually have a piece of advice for that one. And it comes from a friend of mine who has a child on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And she says all the time, If you've met a kid with autism, you know, one child with autism, Hmm. there is no extrapolation. There is really is not necessarily anything that you can carry over from one thing to another. So what might be super helpful for me, I don't think is going to be helpful for another family. But what is helpful is someone who could say, I'm here. What do you need? I don't know what to say. I don't know how to support you here are some ideas I've thought of. Are any of them any good? Like if we made you guys a meal every month for a year or something like that, like something a little outside the box, because I mean, my children are not medically fragile. This isn't something like an acute, right? Like someone's going in for surgery. We have this acute need right now. It's more like there's a need that's going to stretch on in perpetuity. So are there ways that we can be creative with that? Could we bring you a meal on the first Monday of the month, right? For the next whatever. But it's going to be different from family to family. So for my family, I have a good friend who for a while was just taking my youngest daughter over to her house. My youngest daughter, God made her for Broadway. And until (laughs) she can get there, we all just have to deal with the fact that God made her for Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) So to have someone who would just bring my kid over to her house and be like, yes, you can paint my nails. Absolutely. Let's sing pop songs. Let's do each other's hair. Let's whatever. And give, I hate to say give the rest of us a break, but give the rest of us a break. But so in that context, I'm using that as an example to say the thing that would seem the most obvious let us help with your child who has special needs was not exactly was Mm. not the thing that Mm. helped us the most, what helped us Mm. the most was go take our precious little diva and give her an audience. That is not (laughs) us. for just, you know, an hour. And that break is huge. And I would say, so in the book, I have prayers for siblings Mm. because if having a child with special needs impacts a parent's life, how much more does it impact the life Mm. of the sibling? Yeah. And I think one of the things my friend did that was so beautiful is she looked at our family and she saw someone other than the kid with special needs. She said, how can I love you? How can I be there for the siblings? So those are some places I would start talking. to
0: That's super helpful. That's especially for us guys who just like, tell us what to do. And we (laughs) want to help help to just tell us what to do.
1: Can I say one more? Is that okay? Please a great tell us what to do so church is such a difficult environment for so many families of children with special needs some churches have what they call a buddy ministry Mm. which is someone basically signs up to shadow your kid like one-on-one so you can go to the service
0: yeah
1: ideally with your spouse because what a lot of families do is they end up switching off
0: like it's my
1: day to go with the kid and your day to go to church then you're never in the service together So someone who doesn't have a kid with special needs or even doesn't have kids at all, especially dads, I would say, if you want to volunteer in an official capacity, if your church has a buddy ministry or even just, hey, you know what? Once a month, I'll go to church. I'll go to Sunday school with your kid. I'll help out. I'll do whatever is needed. I think that that's a great way to bless families. And I think I hate to be like gendered, but I feel like we need more men.
0: I'm going to ask you, space. why, why'd you say, especially dads? I mean, I, I agree I, with I, you, but I'm just curious to hear why you said, especially dads.
1: Because there are so many kids, my own included, who just respond better to men for mm. whatever reason. And when you have guys in that space, it makes kids like my son feel more welcome. Cool. And also kids like my son notice every single person who takes care of me, except my dad, is a woman. Like, what's up with that? Most special education teachers are women. Most elementary education teachers are women. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mentioned I was able to do a volunteer opportunity with a friend's church. And there were guys there on their special needs ministry team. And I just remember thinking, that is such a beautiful thing that Mm -hmm. these young men, who have special needs are looking, who are the leaders, who is running this place. And they're seeing people who look like them. I don't know, maybe I'm overstating it, but I think that that's
0: I love that. a place
1: where guys can serve.
0: Yeah. I'm going to just pause our conversation and speak to the listener. And if you're hearing that as a listener and you're just like, I don't know really where to serve or what to do. And maybe the spirit of God is just prompting you and you need to be obedient. And uh, maybe this is like, there's a reason you listen to this episode at this time. And uh, maybe God's just trying to draw you in to help serve the family of God better. And so I just don't want you to miss that, man. If you are listening and you feel anything in your chest right now, don't miss it. God might be speaking to you. It might be lunch or it might be the spirit of God trying to prompt you towards obedience. All right. Tell us about your book and where people can get it and how it would be most helpful for a family.
1: So the book is called Special Grace, Prayers and Reflections for Families with Special Needs. And you can buy it anywhere, pretty much like InterVarsity Press is the publisher. So you can buy it off the publisher's website. They offer discounts if you're doing bulk orders. It's on Amazon. It's at christianbook.com and Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble and all the places you can get books. If you Google Special Grace and Elrina, you'll find it because I have a unique name.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I love that name.
1: The book is 127 prayers for all aspects of raising a child with disability. Prayers for an initial diagnosis, prayers for starting medication, prayers for medication changes, and also Thanksgivings for things like cochlear implants, for white canes, for mobility devices, for sign language, for Braille, and several prayers that are just the way that I talk to God, there's a yeah. prayer for the time change, which as we're recording this, we just went through <laughs> yeah. and it yeah. starts out, dear God, why? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Because
1: the time change, seriously, <laughs> right. It throws all <laughs> families for a loop.
0: Yeah. I can't but if imagine. you have
1: children with special needs and especially kids who thrive on order and routine, mm.
0: this is just
1: chaos that we don't need. So, yeah. So you'll but, find all sorts of prayers like that in the book.
0: This is probably an, an obvious question, but, Is this a good gift? Like, again, for somebody that doesn't have special needs children, if I gave this to a family with special needs, is this like offensive or is this like, no, that's a thank you for thinking of us. And this is actually a really great gift.
1: That was actually one of my hopes. When I was writing the book, I talked with my publisher about the intended audience, which is Mm -hmm. obviously families who have children with special needs, but then the secondary audience beyond that. And that's exactly who I was envisioning. My friend just said, this is a hypothetical situation, but my friend just sent me a text at 3 a.m. They got a prenatal diagnosis that isn't good. And like, what do I do? One of my prayers for special grace is that it is a comfort to people. It is an encouragement. So I see, absolutely, you could buy this book. You could give it to your friend and say, I hope that there's something in here that is comforting and encouraging to you. And interspersed with the prayers I have, personal reflections about Mm. my own family's life, which I included for a couple of different reasons. First, just so that people would understand my family a little bit more, but also really to speak into my context, because as I was writing the book, I felt this weight of, I do not have a medically fragile child. I do not have a child with Down syndrome. I do not have a, a child who uses a wheelchair. Who am I to write prayers for those contexts other than my heart just sees and cares. So providing my context, I think helps readers understand, like this is my angle into the world of special needs. This is where I'm coming from, but I'm offering all of these prayers in hopes that it will be able to touch you in your context.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's a true gift. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to write it down and to share it with the world. And I'm grateful that you took the time to hang out with us today and to share your honest reflections of what it's been like for you personally. And then also for those of us who want to be an encouragement and a blessing to other families. So thank you for taking the time to do this. It's been really fun. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've really enjoyed speaking with you.
0: Hey guys, hope that interview was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. Again, if you want to partner with us to see this gospel message equipping men all around the world, you can join us by going to dadtired.com forward slash give. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.